Thank you for listening to this message from Northwest Hills Community Church in Corvallis, Oregon. You can learn more about our church at nwhills.com. Today, Associate Pastor Ron King and a panel of three dads continue a series called What is Going On, where we read the entire Bible in a year. The book of Philippians is a letter to the church in Philippi. Paul writes this letter while in jail to them to tell them how much he loves them, encourage them to humble themselves as Christ humbled himself, find peace in Christ in all situations, and a whole lot more. Since it's Father's Day, Ron invited three dads to discuss, encourage, and challenge people in the same way that Paul does in this letter. After the message and throughout the week, read the letter to the Philippians. Also, check out nwhills.com hub, that's H-U-B, for additional resources like book overviews, reading plans, and application questions. Now, here's today's message. We get the rich privilege this morning of digging into God's Word together. I want to say something. It's such a rich privilege to go to community groups every week and to hear people that have been diving into God's Word. Many of you, for the very first time, reading it from the very beginning to the, to the end of the book. And uh, for those of you who have been doing that, not only way to go, but you know that some weeks have been harder work than others. Like some weeks you've been jamming through all kinds of... Um, scripture, and it might not all have been super inspirational, but you have the discipline of reading through scripture, and we want to teach that to every person here, because my job and Josh's job and the staff's job is not to, um, you know, is not to tell you all the facts of scripture. It's to whet your appetite to dig into God's word and learn from yourself, have God's spirit speak to you, and be sharpened and grow, and then pass it on to another person that's what like really sparks me is when I see you in God's word growing and then applying and then getting other people to do that. Well, we've been through this journey together starting in Genesis and now we finally after all that hard work get to the really, really good stuff, at least from my perspective. I had several people this morning who said, we're doing Philippians. I love that book. And a couple of people said, that's my favorite book or that's my second favorite book. And so no pressure, guys, but um, this is a great book. This week, we're going to be studying through the book of Philippians, and here's the good news. It's only four chapters, <laughs> and not only that, it's so good. There are very, like, very few books that you'll read through, and you'll say, oh, there's another line. I remember that. Oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one, like Philippians, and there's so many good things to say about this. I'm going to leave my comments um, very briefly about the introduction of the book. And then we're going to, as a panel, we're going to walk through it together. Some of the places where we've found strong application of scripture. And we're going to talk through it together as just as brothers. And these are three of my good friends who God has blessed me with this last year to strike up friendship with and um, to begin to love. And we're going to dive into Philippians Some of you know a little bit of the history of the book. I'll just rehearse it very briefly. You can read it for yourself, Acts 16. So Paul, after his life got turned upside down by the good news that Jesus was God in the flesh and it came for him and it died and risen again so that he would have forgiveness of sin and relationship with God, he got fired up and he got partners in ministry and they started turning an empire 
the Roman Empire upside down with the news, the good news of Jesus. And they started going to places and planting churches, communities of believers who would thrive together and encourage each other together to walk with Jesus, get to know him better and grow with him. And and that's a part of what we get, this legacy of what they were doing in the book of Acts. And as you read it, you'll discover in the middle of all this, in the middle of Paul's second journey, telling people and planting churches, telling people about Jesus, all of a sudden God stops him in his tracks again, Paul does. And he has this dream one night that he's not to do what he has been doing, thinking about going to the next spot, but he actually should take a right-hand turn and go a different direction. He wakes up and he thinks, man, that wasn't just the ph- a bad falafel. That was something like God speaking to me, and I need to go into a different place and start speaking out and, and reaching people. And he takes him to this town that's a center of the region called Philippi. And when they're there, they, they meet this group of ladies who are leaders, who um, one of them, Lydia, godly woman, and she's trying to know who God is. And they get in this conversation, and Lydia comes to faith in Jesus, and those people around her do. And so they get fired up, and then Paul and Silas are in this journey together, and they uh, see God work in the life of a broken young woman who is a slave and is being abused and trafficked. And they see her and her life changed through the power of God's healing in her life. But the person who was trafficking her gets very upset at what happened at God's movement in her life and the healing because he no longer can make money off her in the condition now that God has healed her from. And, um, And so a riot incurs. Paul and Silas find themselves in jail and one night, they're just singing in jail. I love that scene, right? Acts 16, where they're singing worship as they're chained in jail. Like, how cool is that? And then God once more busts loose, right? The, the prisons just rocks, and all of a sudden, God releases all the prisoners. And instead of a prison riot happening, Paul and Silas take control of the situation, and they have this conversation with the guy who's about to kill himself, the guy who's in charge, the, the, the jailer. And they say, wait a second, let's, this is a movement of God. Let's have a conversation. And, and the jailer takes him to his family. The jailer and his whole family come to faith in Jesus. And that's the start of the church in Philippi. Lydia, this group of ladies, this jailer, like how different the two of them were. And he's bringing cultures and people and experiences together to form a church in a critical region of the empire so that they might have influence. And this church is the legacy of those first believers there. And it turns into a great church, a church that just loves Jesus and is generous and supports Paul, loves him. And Paul falls in love with these people even though he's traveling all over the place and he keeps his journeys and keeps planting churches, he just loves the Philippians. And that bleeds out of this book. He just, he loves how they're following Jesus in the middle of persecution, how they're faithful to be generous even though they don't have a lot of resources, how they love Jesus and live for him and try to pass him on and disciple other people. And you'll see the reflection of that affection in this book. 
we're going to dive into it now together. And I've got some brothers here who are going to who are going to help me think about the book, help us think about the book together. So I'm going to have you guys introduce yourself. You would a lot of people know you, but we'll start with you, Tom. So um, just like how have you been connected to Northwest Hills? How many? I won't even say how many decades, but um, a while. And then a little bit about your family, guys. Yeah. Yeah, Terry and I have been coming here uh, for 46 years. We arrived in the summer of 1977. And uh, so this summer, we are observing our 50th wedding anniversary. And so we just say, hallelujah. And uh, our son, Josh, is in Washington, D.C. He's a professor at Johns Hopkins University, uh, a bit of an expert on India-Pakistan relations, a little light topic. And uh, our daughter, Melissa, is one of our church missionaries. She lives in northeast India and does development work in villages. So that's our family. And uh, I am James Furlow, married to Miss Jessie here. And we're, <laughs> we're only celebrating 15 years this summer, but Woo. still exciting. And we have two kids. We have a daughter, Eleanor. She is eight, heading into third grade, which is crazy to think about. And a son, Samson who is six and entering into first grade. And they're super fun and hilarious and hard work. <laughs> I'm Eric Wright. I'm married to Amy Wright, who's a great wife to live life with. And we have four boys, uh, two sets of twins, 23 and 20, Parker, Ethan, Ben, and Zach. And we have a daughter-in-law, Stephanie, and a soon-to-be daughter-in-law, Sarah. So we Woo! are feeling, yeah. So. So blessed, and my son Zach said we kind of fill up the whole row this morning, so it was kind of fun. So was, we, we like that. So, cool. Well, Paul begins his letter with this really profound, rich prayer. Uh, for those of you who have read the book, and uh, I'm going to read a bit of that prayer together, and I'm going to have us stand up as we honor God and think about this prayer. Um, we'll have you sit down. Before you sit down, say, thanks be to God. And um, then I'm going to ask you guys, like, this is a prayer that I think is a great model. And I know each of you guys pray a lot for your families. And so I'm going to have you comment about how does, how does this affect how you pray for those people that you love the most, your kids, your, your family, your spouse. So in honor of God's word, would you stand with me? We're going to begin the reading of... Philippians in chapter 1, starting verse 3, we'll go to verse 11. And Paul just dives right into this book with this prayer. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God 
This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. So who wants to dive in on that? And uh, I'm going to start with you, Tom, because everyone knows that your heart passion is, one of your heart's passion is prayer. So how does a prayer like that strike you and affect your prayer life? Well, Ron, uh, as I mentioned, Terry and I have been married for 50 years, and I would have to say since that first day we were married, I've really made it my, my aim, my intent uh, to pray for her, uh, and then once we had children, to pray for them. Mm. And uh, so the greatest gift, let me just say right out up front, the greatest gift that you, Dad, or Grandpa can give to your children, your grandchildren, is to pray Scripture prayers for them and over them. So we, we see from Paul here, uh, the, the, what motivates his prayer is, is deep love. It's a deep care. And he said, with, with, with deep, authentic love, I pray for you. Now, two things in that prayer that really stood out to me very, very clearly. He prays that they would discern, that they would discern what is best. So as we're praying for our wives, okay, as we're praying for children, grandchildren, we don't have to kind of come up with some, you know, uh, powerful prayer. We can pray the Scripture. So we say, Lord, would you guide my son as he's making career decisions? Would you guide my daughter as she's navigating complicated things in the mission field? And so that, that, that they would discern what is best. And then secondly, Paul says that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's character. Okay? That our children, our grandchildren would grow in it to be like Jesus, right? That's kind of our church thing that we talk about. So another scripture I would really commend to you, and again, this is another scripture from uh, the Apostle Paul. This is Colossians 1, 9 to 11. I, and I can say I've really prayed this regularly, faithfully, for about the full 50 years that I've been walking with Terry. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. One of my favorite authors on prayer is E.M. Bounds. And I remember he said this, look, you don't have to kind of come up with some brilliant prayer. Pray the Scripture. That's what I would underscore here. And he also uses this word, I love the word, specificity. It just kind of really clicks with me. Be specific with your prayers for your, for your wife and for your children. And so um, a final thing that I would share is this. Guys... This is daunting. Okay, let's, let's be honest. We feel inadequate. I talk to so many men, so many husbands that just say, look, you know, you're the spiritual giant. You wander the world, and you learn how to pray. Terrific. But many of us, frankly, feel inadequate. And so, you know, often I will just do this simple thing with Terry. Okay, let's set aside 20 minutes tonight and pray for our kids, pray for our grandkids, Tobin and, and Edelman Joy. Sometimes she will say to me, could we pray tonight? You know, our kids are going through something. You know, life every day happens, and a lot of it is challenging and difficult and complex. She'll just say to me, let's pray tonight. Our reaction, typically as men, is to be defensive, right? Because, oh, I should have come up with that. Here's my wife kind of nudging me to be the guy that prays. <laughs> Don't be defensive. Be responsive. Be responsive. And to quote a favorite little sports tagline, just do it. I'm going to let you follow that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, I mean, if, if I'm honest, I think Amy and I are not as consistent in prayer for our families as we, as we would like to be. But as I was reading through this, 
um, if there's one scripture that we've prayed for our kids most, it was Philippians 1, six. just being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it yeah. in the day of Christ Jesus. Yeah. And um, there's times that you just see God at work in your kids' lives, and there's times that you don't. And um, it's a great memory that God is at work even when we don't see it with our eyes. And mm-hmm. it's great to remember that God is going to be faithful. God is going to continue to do work. And... Um, I'm grateful that his faithfulness doesn't depend on my faithfulness, but that just is, his faithfulness just is. And, um, yeah. and that, you know, even in the short time that I've got the privilege of raising my boys, I've got to see what God has done and who he's worked through. And I, th- I see people in this room who have been uh, impactful in my kids' lives and that God has used to continue that work that he began in their lives. And um, I'm just so grateful to that and to the way he loves us. That's rich, Eric. And let me just encourage all of us as we uh, speak, just stick the mic right, right there in our side. People will be blessed, and, um, and we can all hear it better. Yeah, go ahead, James. Yeah, um, I, I love control. I love order. My favorite app is Excel, so let's put everything perfect. <laughs> and um, raising kids is anything but that. And so it's not just prayer that's overwhelming for me. It's like being a parent. I see, uh, I was talking with this with Jesse yesterday, because our son has made a new friend who on the surface doesn't seem like the best influence in the world. And, and I just have, like, I find myself having worry and concerns about things that he's going to be exposed to and things and thoughts mm-hmm. that are going to be put into his head that I mm. don't want him to have. Um, it's not going to be, you know, truth and pure. And, um, and I've found that the only way that, um, that I can deal with that is through prayer, is giving it up to God and, and saying, um, Lord, I don't know how to do with this. I don't know um, how to combat some of these things. I, I just want to put my son um, to you. Please grab his heart. And mm-hmm. um, I tend to, um, Paul here is, you know, he's riffing a little bit off the great commandment. Um, and and uh, so that's often what I will pray for my kids, that they come to just grow in their love for God and their love for one another, um, which is included in this section. Um, mm. And so last night I actually, um, it was pretty fun, we, uh, I read that exact same scripture to my family and said, I know Paul, he's praying this to a church, but I think it applies to us as well. And it was super fun. So dads, I'd recommend um, just doing that passage, this three through 11 with your family, reading it, going line by line and extrapolating upon it, which is that same thing of praying scripture to them. Um, it was such a great time last night doing that. Cool. I, um, as I was thinking about this, this theme, I was thinking about the power of my own dad, who's here actually, and um, his prayer life, he's a super disciplined prayer. He's got this list of people, many of you actually, that he prays for every day. And he prays for me, I know, and my family super faithfully. And the power of that, like, that has been super transformational for us, for our family, for me personally. And so hope you hear what these guys are saying. Um, it's okay if you, up until this place, have struggled with that. But let's take this and apply this power that we have as um, leaders in our family to pray and to lead our family to pray and to pray for our our marriages and our kids and for the power of what God has and for the fruit of righteousness. I love what you mentioned there, Tom. So another theme in this great book uh, that Paul touches on multiple times in the book, but specifically in chapter 1 and chapter 3, is our ambition. And that's kind of hardwired into our DNA, I think, by the Lord for us to be ambitious. But it's so easy for us to get our ambitions sideways and for us to have 
a different set of ambitions in our life than would be honoring and fruitful for the kingdom, honoring to God. And uh, in chapters 1, 12 through 30, and 7, 7 through 14, or 3, 7 through 14, uh, Paul kind of zeroes in on this ambition. There's several phrases, especially chapter 3, where you're like, oh, that's a very memorable phrase. I get this. So let's speak into that, whoever would like to go first, about just that attention of us seeking to be um, faithful to that that God has hired, hardwired into us, our ambition, and making sure that ambition actually follows the Lord's passion in our life. We're both looking at you, James. Oh, sweet. Um, I, uh, speaking of chapter 3, I love verses 9 and 10. And it says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, mm-hmm. but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness mm-hmm. from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Um, I, one of the things I like about Paul um, this is going to sound really weird, but he reminds me of my dog where um, when – I'll get there. Uh, when you have a – when you show a treat to my dog, he is just singularly focused. And, like, you could try to distract him, but good luck. Like, that's what he wants. And, <laughs> and Paul has that same just singular focus. And, and everything he does, all of his thoughts, all of his actions are about becoming Christ-like and, and becoming, what do you say here, um, like him in his death. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, I love that focus. Paul is super ambitious, but it's all about where's that ambition pointing. Um, and, um, and so I, I just like that. And, and it reminds me a little bit of when I used to work for HP, I have an employer who would tell me where to, what to do. And, um, and I know the relationship's a little bit different with God and us. It's more parental than employer. But um, just that idea of when I was working there, everything I did was for the benefit of HP. And I think anyone who's an employee gets that concept of, like, how can I help the company? And, and Paul has that same thing. It's really not about him. But he's super ambition, ambitious and doing it the best that he can. And um, I just I love that, and that's what I try to follow. Uh, yeah, I can still be ambitious. I can still go after um, life. But it's really like, what's that thing I'm going after? And I think Paul lays it out really well here when it's not becoming righteousness of my own, um, my own skills, my own, you know, following laws I make up my, on my own, but really through faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. I also love that we talked about his ambition being to, to know Christ. You know, and I think when I think, if, if I honestly reflect on my life, I think, you know, I want to be a good principal. I want to be a good dad. I want to be responsible in this. I want people to honor and respect. Like, there's all these things that I want. And Paul's, like, his singular focus was to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And um, I think it's really easy to get comfortable in this world and to feel like this is our home, this is where we belong, and this is where we are to find success and satisfaction. And really, we're designed to have that in our creator and, and to really know Jesus and who he is and who he wants us to be and in that relationship with him. And so I just think when I think about Paul's ambition and where my ambition are not aligned, it's that I, I'm divided. You know, and Paul's ambition was to know Christ. That was his singular focus and mm-hmm. how different would my life look if every day that was how I lived. So here's the, uh, probably the most important founder of uh, New Testament Christianity. I mean, this is a mega guy. And here he's in prison, and he's reflecting. I kind of look at it this way. He's doing his balance sheet. Mm-hmm. And often when you use the word ambition, it's about metrics and milestones and resumes. Kind of look at these things that I've accomplished, you know, in my journey. I don't think that's the right word when you look at Philippians 3. I want to mm-hmm. put the word in passion. Paul lands on his core passion, 
not about himself, not about anything he's accomplished, but it is really there's this deep, deep hunger to, to know Jesus experientially, not doctrinally, theologically, not a nice story, but to actually have an intimate, personal walk with Jesus. And uh, so um, I ask the question at this point, okay, how, how does he get there? He uses the, these words that seem really energetic. Mm. Okay, we press on, yeah. we, we reach out, we move forward. When you look at this and the first kind of a cl- glance at this, it feels like a to-do list. It's like, okay, now how do I do this? Here's my point. We don't do that. Okay? So true spiritual maturity is not what I do or try to do. It is really receiving that already accomplished work that Jesus has done for me. Mm-hmm. And I take that in. So it is not by strife or effort. Uh, if so, I would feel like a failure most every day of my yeah, life. Right. Right. And so this is by receiving. So I, I love this, this word apprehend. Now, in the Greek, it simply means that you reach out and grab something external to yourself. You grab it and you bring it in and make it yours. So I'm thinking of Tim Ewis over here. Tim, were you wide receiver or tight end? I don't really know. But you were a beaver guy, okay? And all I know about you is that you're tall and that you would look for the pass. You're going downfield. You reach up and out and hope you get one hand on it, maybe two, and you grab it and you bring it in, and it's yours. you got it under control. That's really what we're, we're seeing Paul describe here. And so when he says, I press on, I reach out, I strive, it is not about human endeavor. And so the word here is posture. So just, just three words I want to leave with you, my, my understanding of this. Uh, passion. This is his core passion is to know Jesus intimately, personally. Number two, he doesn't do that by trying harder or measuring up. Failure written all over that. Uh, so he postures himself. He puts himself in a place to receive grace. He puts himself in a place to just receive grace that is a full gift from the Lord himself. He transforms me. He changes me from the inside out. Yes, I mess up. Yes, I miss it. Yes, I'll fail. I'll fumble and blunder through this thing. But the Lord is for me. He's for you. Mm -hmm. He's not sitting there, you know, doing a balance sheet on you. You know, he wants you to grow. He wants you to go deeper. And so his, his, his unfailing love sustains me every bit of the way. And so this, I think, is really what kind of he's up to and after. So those three words, uh, passion, posture yourself, and the last word, practice. Practice. Put it into practice. And what I understand, practice the spiritual disciplines. You receive the power of the Word through the Holy Spirit, and then you grow day by day. So praise the Lord that He does the work. I don't have to. That'll preach, Tom. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's great. Uh, This letter is marked by something remarkable, I think, in the setting, in the context, right, where Paul has been hurt. Physically, he's wounded, he's in prison, he's writing these letters, and this is the last of his epistles, letters. Uh, letters. And it's marked by joy. You, I mean, it leaks out of all the text in, in Philippians. And so what's with that? I, I, how do you practice that? How do you model that when in front of your family when things get difficult and challenging? How do you model a, a joy in Christ? I think that Paul knew, he knew who he was and he knew whose he was. And that's something else that we've prayed for our kids a lot, that they would know who they are and they would know who they belong to. And, um, you know, Jesus said, oops, thank you. Jesus said that in this world you will have trouble, mm-hmm. but he also said, take courage, I have overcome the world. Yeah. You know, and I think um, we need to remember that even when 
things in, the, in our lives look messy, things aren't going well, things aren't going as we planned, or we're not feeling safe and comfortable, that we have a foundation yeah. in a God who is unchanging and a God who has overcome everything this world has to offer and to throw at us. And um, I think that's an opportunity we have to model to our kids and our families and our community who we are and whose we are. And, um, you know, I think, again, Paul did that so well, and that's something that we, that we try to do every day. And if we can just remember that, that Jesus, this, is, this shouldn't be a surprise to us when things yeah. are hard and challenging because Jesus said they would be. But yeah. again, he also said he was going to be there with us and that he'd overcome it all. So, Yeah, yeah I, um, I totally get where Paul's coming from. I've, I am naturally optimistic, like over-the-top optimistic. I don't see the cloud. I only see the silver lining. Um, drives my wife nuts. Um, but <laughs> I, so I actually, I struggle with this topic trying to think through it because um, um, even... In suffering, I've you know I don't <laughs> I don't even recognize it as that, um, but uh, which again causes some problems. But I I think um, I think one of the things that we do to model it to our kids is because um, they're they're still younger and they're still trying to figure out life. Uh, we have we talk about hard things and struggles and things that we're working through in front of them, and we don't uh, always argue in front of them. Um, but when we are working through something that's difficult, like they see that and, um, and they hear our problem solving and what's going back and forth. And sometimes, um, you know, they're, uh, you know, we'll disagree on how to, how to approach something. Um, but then ultimately what they also see is, um, we still love each other. We still like each other. We still have fun. We still love them. And so they can see the difficulty of some things that we're going through in life, um, but they also see that joy and that that doesn't fully dominate our lives and what we're doing and that we can um, you know, ultimately look back to, to Christ and to our faith and to mm-hmm. um, just all the wonderful things that he's done in our lives. Yeah. Well, Paul starts chapter 4 saying this, uh, uh, re- rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Again, I say rejoice, okay? Double reinforcement here. Well, with the complexities of life that we all are facing, navigating the pressures, the uncertainties of life in the post-Christian age in America, how's that working for you? This is not easy to actually live in a state of joy. So here, here's what I believe. Joy, true joy is, is an eternal state of being. It is a supernatural state of being that does not depend on any circumstance, mindset, mood, or any kind of a manner of doing your life. No, this, this is a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. And how do I receive that? I think by being straight up honest with the Lord when I'm not exactly experiencing joy, when I'm stressed, when I'm under pressure, when there's worries or fears. And so this is David. David just did this. He just said, Lord, here I am. Here's what's going on. And straight up. And, um, and then he had the capacity to receive that gift of grace. So the other one here, if there's one maybe other takeaway I would give to you, this isn't Philippians. This is the message. Okay? And this is Philippians 4, 6, 7. I practice this all the time. Why? Because life is a mess. Life is full of stress. Don't worry or fret about anything. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. Anybody want this? Yeah. (laughs) Are you in? 
Yeah. We'll settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. So, Ron, I think the question was, how does this relate to us as, as fathers and husbands in our families? Okay, dads, you need to step up and, uh, and step out and model the ability to trust Christ in your circumstances and to not be triggered, not be sucked in or pulled into negative stuff that goes on. You know, the Apostle John talks about fathers. He said, I write to you fathers. I write to you sons. I write to you as children. We need fathers that will model the ability to actually receive that supernatural grace. Not perfectly. No. We're going to mess up. We're going to stumble through these things. Mm -hmm. But just um, receive that joy and model that joy. Yeah. So one of the rich, profound parts of Philippians is the beginning of chapter 2. And uh, there are theologians that have just tried to dive deep and try to figure it all out that are still trying to do that. I'm still trying to figure it out. But there's a call in Philippians, the beginning of chapter 2, that we are to imitate Christ specifically as we humble ourselves as Jesus did when he came and emptied himself. And as dads, that's, uh, that's hard, right? To figure out how to do that faithfully with our family in front of them. And um, yeah, so maybe what makes this especially hard for you and uh, the call of humbling ourselves before others and um, what's the most astonishing thing about this section? I'm talking specifically chapter 2, one, verses 1 through 11. And if you've never read it, I want to encourage you, if you're just starting to dive into God's Word, to read this passage again, just to marvel at what Jesus actually did for us. But guys, let's comment a little bit about this. Yeah, I'll be brief on this one, Ron. I've been a little verbose. Uh, let me just hit it straight. What's, what's powerful about this for me? And uh, again, they call this in theology the kenosis, the Son of God emptying himself of self. Now, I can't get my mind around it. If anybody can explain it to me, I'll have coffee out here ready. I got gotcha. you. Okay, yeah. All right, you got it, man? <laughs> You're on, Eric. There's a school principal showing up. Yeah, man. So I, I can't get my mind around it, but I can get my heart around it. Here's the most amazing thing. The Son of God, pre-incarnate Christ, he who is God, yeah. he emptied himself, and at the heart of his core personality is humility. Now, he says in Matthew 11, come unto me, all you who weary, troubled, labored, I am lowly and humble right. of heart. I, it's just astounding to me. And so I'm hardwired. I'm hardwired to do my thing, to be goal-oriented, to kind of do this stuff, do this stuff, and so I need to be delivered from my hard wiring. And that's why Paul says, let this same attitude that was in Jesus be in you. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a lifelong aim. And so at the heart of the character of the Savior that we love is humility. And I think this world tells us, especially to men, that it's our job to stick up for our rights and to fight for, for my rights to, to be what I want and to have what I want and to get what's mine and and that is so contrary to the gospel and and my flesh screams pretty loud and i, I want recognition i want what i'm owed you mm -hmm. know and um i think the challenge there is to as a follower of christ to, to deny my rights you know to not fight for my rights to to humble myself and to be a servant 
-hmm. And those are things that my flesh doesn't like to do. My flesh wants someone to take care of me. My flesh wants someone to recognize my accomplishments. My flesh wants to to get what I'm owed and to to be able to fight for myself. And and I think that is that that constant struggle that, that Jesus, if he is our model, he gave up his rights and authority and he allowed himself to be humbled. He allowed himself to be not to be a servant and to be taken advantage of and to be mm-hmm. to be harmed and ultimately killed and sacrificed on our behalf and and I, I can't understand really what that's like you know so I'm not meeting with you after for coffee um, <laughs> but I also just uh, just think that is an example to me that I am constantly called to to deny myself to take up my cross and to to give up what I think I'm owed and and I think that is the heart of the gospel and when we're able to do that in small chunks is when I think God, people can really see God at work in our lives. And I think when we can surround ourselves by people who, again, I have a, have a godly wife, I have good friends who, who remind me what it means to follow Jesus, that then I can, I can do that more effectively and be a better example in the world. Yeah, the very first uh, note I wrote here said, this hurts my head. Um, so I'm with you. Um, <laughs> I, but in an attempt to, to try to make sense, I, I thought of the, the TV show Undercover Boss, right? Where it's like, okay, you got this guy, he's CEO, he's in charge of everything, and he, at least for a little while, gives it all up and goes to work, you know, and people don't recognize him. And it's the equivalent of, like, him demonstrating, like, CEO acts and stuff, and the middle manager is saying, nope, you're not the CEO, you're fired. And, um, and I realize this analogy breaks down real quick, but um, just trying to, like, wrap my head, yeah, that's what he did. It's kind of an insane type of situation. Um, and, and it's absolutely amazing. And when Paul then says, hey, follow this example, um, yeah, like you guys talked about, it's incredibly hard to do. Um, I know one of the things that uh, I do to, to try to help is I meet with a couple of guys. And every week we ask ourselves very poignant questions about our family, about our relationships, about our work, about how we're living life. And, um, and one of the challenges in that is to say, like, am I putting myself first or am I putting other people first? And, um, and so I would recommend if you're, and, and you even mentioned it a little bit too, um, meet with people regularly and set an expectation to ask those questions and create an atmosphere. Um, like, we don't meet in a public space because there's some topics where you're just not going to talk about it at a coffee shop. And so we intentionally set that up. Mm. So I would recommend having those relationships. At the end of the letter, uh, Paul addresses... Um, another issue that can pop up in my life, and that's contentment and peace. And um, even though I get it, Paul's living in extremely difficult circumstances for him, and yet what gets reflected, what comes out, bubbles out, like almost automatically, it's the fruit of righteousness, right, that we were thinking about, um, is this sense of, hey, I'm content. Whatever is going to happen, I'm good with it because I, I have this huge confidence in what God is doing. Um, but let me like get more personal with this. What drives your own contentment or the spaces where you find yourself discontent? What's percolating there? And um, how do you get it right? How do, you, how do we live that out? Uh, I think my mom was right when she said, you are what you eat. Um, but it's more of you are what you consume. Mm. And so it's not just food. And so he mm. says, um, he's got a nice long list here in 4 verse 8. 
where he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Mm -hmm. whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And, um, And so I find that I am content and peaceful when I am thinking about these things. Um, and it's getting hard because, uh, you know, increasingly things like Netflix and Disney Plus and radio shows um, are not on this list anymore. And um, but mm-hmm. I but so for me, it's who am I surrounding myself with? What am I reading? What am I listening to? What am I watching? Mm-hmm. Um, I I find that. Um, you know that has a big influence. You know how much time am I spending in the Word? Right? Is is Jesus one of those top people in my lives that I'm spending time with? Um, and so um, that for me is a huge driver. Um, I think something that um, you know is discontentment uh, is if I've got unconfessed sin and it's just it's just there on the surface and. And I, I will notice that that will just, you know, it'll just hurt interactions and relationships, and it'll just gnaw at me until I finally um, confess that sin to someone. And it is so liberating um, in order to do that. And then that leads to a peace that, um, you know, as I talk about, is beyond understanding. Um, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't understand how it works. I just know it does. And, um, <laughs> and so, yeah, those are, that's my thought on its you know, what are you putting into your life? What are you paying attention to? And and then also, you know, are you um, in a right relationship with everybody? And mm-hmm. are you, you know, confessing your sins? And I think at the end of the day, we have to remember that we really have one audience, and that's that's Jesus. And it's really easy to want to live to please all the people around you or to, to gain the favor of, of people in your life. And, and that's not what we were designed to do. And... Uh, you know, it's not my job to please everyone or meet everyone's expectations or achieve in accordance with what the world says of me. And you talked about that, the scripture about the list of whatever's true and right. And growing up, I thought of that was like this list of, you know, do this, do this, do this, don't do this. And that was like this big to-do list. But I, mm. as I was reading it, I was thinking that that is really Paul's way of helping us to have that peace. You know, that if we are thinking about things and, and, and focusing on and, and setting our minds on what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable... Um, that will bring us peace. When we try to seek power and prestige and wealth and success and all these things, that's just this empty bucket of want and desire. But those are the things that when we pursue those things and things of God, we will find peace. And, um, and that's his gift as we are, are focusing on and setting our minds on the things that he wants for us. And that's so much better than the thing that my flesh screams out for. You know? Right, it's just sneaky to think about the things, like when I'm experiencing discontent, it's when I've listened to other voices, not the Lord's voice, right? When I've listened to the voice of social media or culture or whatever and allowed them to set the agenda and not the Lord setting the agenda and setting the goals and expectations. And so then I allow stupid things to become markers for me that I'm, I'm pushing toward. And, and I realize, step back and I'm like, why was I so discontent about that? Well, obviously, you know, I, I don't have my mind set on the right things as you guys are pressing into. So appreciate that word. Tom. Yeah, so just just a thought. I, I have to say I've been highly intentional, Ron, over 50 years. Here, 50 comes up again. Really trying to live in that place, okay? Of a peace, call it peace, call it contentment. I've traveled heavily for 40 years now, mostly internationally. I engage in a lot of spiritual warfare, a lot of really difficult resistance from people in other religions. It's been a hard go. 
And so I find myself in India, Calcutta, you know, Tokyo, Jerusalem, these, these places where there's a lot of conflict going on. So this has been a real steep climb for me. And uh, so one of my mentors is Oswald Chambers. Many of you know mm-hmm. my utmost for his highest. Yeah. You know, it's a classic. Uh, September 20. And he talks about maintaining spiritual poise. I love that phrase. Mm-hmm. You're not shaken. Okay? You're not surprised. Uh, maintaining spiritual poise in the midst of any circumstance. So how is this even possible? Okay? And, uh, and, and again, I got a definition that I found. This is actually, John, John Piper. I love John Piper. Mm-hmm. To be content is to have a peaceful or calm acceptance of where God has providentially placed me. Okay? A, a calm acceptance of where God has providentially placed me. What a beautiful place to live. Now, the other thing I notice here from this passage, Paul says two times, I have learned the secret. Mm-hmm. I have learned the secret of contentment to be at peace when I'm in a good position, comfortable being fed well, and when I'm starving or when I'm being stoned or left for dead. What an amazing place to be. I've learned the secret. That word in the Greek is only used one time in the entire New Testament. One time. It is a word that describes being initiated into a mystery religion. You know, all these weird occultic religions worshiping Aphrodite and Diana. You know, all these, they call them ancient mystery religions. Well, there was an initiation that you went through, and once you got through that, you're an insider. Okay, you're in. Paul is saying, I'm in. I'm giving you inside information. That's exactly what he's saying. And what is it? It is to invite the active presence of Jesus into your mind, your mood, your circumstance, in any kind of a challenging spot you find yourself in. So it is deep union. I call it an abiding union with Jesus where the Holy Spirit actually controls my mind, my mood, my responses. I think that is true biblical contentment. And uh, again, practice the prayer in Philippians 4. It starts out, the Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. Emmanuel. And so give God your worries, your fears, your anxieties, your frustrations. Release those to him, just like King David models, but then receive by faith the presence of Jesus that calms my spirit. So I just commend that to you as a practice. It is a place of grace where we can increasingly go by, by his mercy. Amen. That's all we have time for. Um, we could sit here for a long time, right? It's such a rich book. I want to encourage you strongly to dive into it this week and to enjoy the, not just uh, the words, but the call in your own heart to figure out how to... I'd be a person who experiences what Paul had experienced, this richness of knowing Jesus and walking with him and experiencing the joy of it. I hope you've got places where you heard us wrestle through it and you're like, man, I got to apply that. I, I, that's going to be a part of my prayer journey this week, or that's, that's going to be a part of how I'm thinking about my ambition or priorities this week or what's affecting my joy or discontent. I'm going to pray over you. And pray that uh, this book just powerfully moves you closer to the heart of Jesus and the walk of Jesus. And then we're going to respond to him and worship as the worship team comes up. So would you, would you pray with me? Loving Father, thank you for this wonderful book of Philippians and all the things you have for us this week as we dive into it, as we read it and study it, and let your spirit speak richly into us. Thank you for these brothers and for the journey we're all on in thinking through how do we apply, how do, how do we find this deep sense of contentment in you?
How do we allow our minds to think on those things that are really true and profitable and let those things guide us and our families? And I pray specifically, Lord, over um, these men in the room who are men of influence. God, would you shape them into your image? And these women who are in the room who are women of influence, shape them into, shape us into people who are placing you at the very beginning and can say to live as Christ and to die, that's a game. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's teaching from Northwest Hills Community Church. We hope you find ways to apply the gospel to your life. And be sure to check out our website, nwhills.com, where you'll find ways to engage with us. And if you're able, we'd love to see you at church next Sunday. Thanks again for listening.